0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Chase Your Dream. Today, we have among us someone whom I adore personally very much. She is none other than Shuparna. She has been working in corporates since quite a decade of time. And she is also doing something very philanthropically to make this world a better place to live. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Shuparna. Shuparna, welcome to my show.
1: Yeah. Uh, hi, Shoman. Thanks so much for giving this opportunity, you know, this forum to speak. Um, well, I'm really privileged and honored to have joined this show.
0: Shupana, we will talk, chat and do a lot of funny things today. Rather, we want to know who are you actually. So, let's give a deep dive into your childhood days. What was Shupana during her childhood days? Okay.
1: Okay. Uh... I uh, rather had an extremely happy childhood, I was the, um, uh, the only child of my parents and uh, my father uh, had a transferable job since he belonged to the WBCS uh, you know cater and um, my entire childhood or teenage uh, was uh, basically being you know being brought up in the suburban region like suburbs, small towns. So that way, you can say I'm a small town girl. I mean, I belong to small towns. My. Um, I... Yeah, so, uh, you know, like uh, I was uh, born and brought up, and my entire childhood, when I was a toddler, after that childhood, and after that, when I became an adolescent, all the transition till late teenage were uh, spent in suburban towns, small towns the last being a district headquarters. So life at that time was pretty idyllic, pretty laid-back. It was a different life altogether. And then we uh, did not have the open economy and globalization and things which basically transformed the world. And it was a very simple life, full of simple and small pleasures, happinesses. And since I'm the only child, I was brought up in a very, very pampered manner. I went to an excellent school as well, which was a residential school, but then definitely since my father being posted in that town, I travelled to school and then came back and uh, I was a very, very uh, jovial, extrovert and uh, flamboyant child. Pretty brilliant in studies, pretty good at co-curricular activities. And uh, I was a very confident child as well. Uh, since, uh, you know, in school I was always being doted upon, in house also I was being doted upon. So, you know, I had a very confident, happy, carefree, beautiful, idyllic childhood, full of a lot of culture, full of a lot of uh, music, full of a lot of literature owing to my parents because both of them were very, very prone towards music, literature and uh, travel, yes of
0: course. Shofana, what was your ambition during the childhood days?
1: Well, it kept on varying, you know, like sometime I wanted to become a doctor, sometime I wanted to become a teacher because we had the best of faculties in schools, wonderful faculties, I must say, who actually acted as mentors. Sometimes I wanted to become a pilot, sometimes I wanted to become a writer because my best friends were definitely at the end of the day books and a lot of animals and nature. So, you know, it kept on shifting. Like, But I actually wanted to make a mark. You can say I was a very ambitious child that way. I always had a lot of aspirations to reach out to the world and be somebody maybe uh courtesy definitely a lot you know a lot of this thinking a lot of this thinking process goes to my father and mother because my father was a very very respected uh, you know uh, you can say a bureaucrat and my mom was extremely talented highly qualified i've always seen you know books all around the house i mean we my parents used to play a lot of focus more on books, music and that time we used to have records, records, books and all that rather than you know buying clothes or you know other cosmetics or furniture so there was, there used to be always hustle bustle regarding what is the latest book all about the latest movie all about movie reviews songs all about so maybe due to that you know I was very very culturally refined too from a very young age and I wanted to actually you know like make some difference to the world but the ambition tangibly kept on (laughs) shifting
0: you have just told a few minutes back that you are a small town girl but right now the lady who is sitting in front of me is a mod lady and who has given a lot of changes to this world obviously so where is this transition rather when is this transition takes place
1: see if you say like uh, you know like if we uh, try to synchronize the time definitely the mark of the or the beginning of the transition was when I shifted to Calcutta when I was barely 16 or 17 years old but then you know like uh, by 16 or 17 a child's mindset or uh, her psychology or personality is more or less you know shaped up so as we say that till 8 years you give eight, first 8 years to the child and the child is shaped up so by the time I was 16 or 17 my entire personality was sort of you know Belonging to a very laid-back world, very idyllic world, very ideological world rather With a lot of nature, books, animals, birds and a lot of warm neighbors very, very, very warm neighborhood like where there were no, you know, like, uh, there was a fastness in life, like people were laid back and there was a lot of emotional connection, there was a lot of relatives which uh, you know, like, uh, they became relatives like more than neighbors, they became relatives. So the basic, you know, I got the jerk when I came to Calcutta when I was 16 or 17. It was a totally of course, I kept on coming to Calcutta because of my relatives, friends and all that, but then it was not for uh, permanently to stay. So when I shifted permanently, there was a huge shift. Like I uh, really, in my class 10, when I shifted to uh, Kolkata school, I found myself as a fish out of water. I really could not adjust. It was too much for me. All the glitz and the glamour and all the, you know, the fast pace of life what Kolkata has, compared to the suburban town where I was residing, or three towns rather where I resided. So that was, you can say, the mark uh, that marked the beginning of the transition or a totally new journey for me. Because one year, one and a half years, it was really tough for me to acclimatize to the culture. It's not about the cosmopolitan thing, because I've always studied in a cosmopolitan school. But it's about the peace of life. It's about the peace of life. It's about the detached ways things happened like uh, neighbors were not relatives, neighbors were just neighbors and friends were just friends or classmates like you know it all started from there so yeah pretty i took one and a half years or more to acclimatize myself to the first pace of life to the new way of things to a more open environment to a lot of cultural difference so it was a sort of a culture shock you can say precisely
0: so who was your childhood hero at that point of time?
1: My childhood uh, hero on a more personal level, definitely my father, and after that one of my uncles was a doctor.
0: You are with the corporates for almost uh, three decades as of now. Right, right. I just want to understand your corporate journey.
1: See, it basically started very young because um, since I was a very ambitious child or uh, with a lot of aspirations to make a difference to the world and I wanted to, you know, be of real support to my parents as well in all the ways like in a holistic manner so you can say after my I.C.S. or after class 10 i worked for you know six months with times of india group then again after isc after you know high school i worked with nestle for more than seven months and definitely then i joined college and post-graduation So you know like after IUC also I worked for Nestle for 6-7 months as a part time assignment and then I definitely did my uh, graduation and uh, while being uh, in my post graduation journey I suddenly came across a very small ad in a vernacular daily of a leading newspaper vacancy so I just you know it was a walk-in kind of an interview so I somehow it attracted me and I just walked in uh, so that was uh, a newspaper called Bataman that is supposed to be the second uh, leading vernacular daily at that time at least it was the second leading vernacular daily and I saw 17 or 18 guys sitting on the you know sitting on the forum or sitting in the reception Not a single woman not a single girl, and I was the only lady out there or girl out there rather that time I was definitely a girl. It was on which year you were talking about? I am talking about 95 So it was precisely if I remember correctly it was 1995 right after Pujas Sometime in late October or November So yeah, to to go back to the main thing so like I saw 17 or 18 guys sitting All with you know resumes and files and all with ties and trim and proper and all and i was there i guess wearing a faded jeans and a top because i just went from straight from the university classes somehow the post you know attracted me and this newspaper things like i was just trying to find my journey like uh, find my calling so i was in a kind of an experimentation mode and there was a group discussion which went on for more than one and a half hours uh, the marketing controller was there, the HR personnel was there, and of course, Barunchen Gupta was there. And uh, the topic I still can reminisce or I can still remember because that was something not to forget. It was traditionalism versus modernism. So. Uh, Definitely in the beginning I was a little nervous in the sense I was a little intimidated that I am you know I'm into a group discussion with 18 guys and all maybe having one or two years of experience and here I am a university student with a bag and you know with the jeans and a t-shirt you know the entire ambience you know like I really was not very confident enough to crack it but then as time progressed once we were 25-30 minutes from the beginning of the commencement of the group discussion, I saw um, 65% or 70% of the talking was done by me. I mean, I was leading the discussion and I was uh, initiating one after one topics. And I still remember that my approach, my approach was very off because I started speaking about the emotional or the mindset point of view. Like, like what is traditionalism? the mindset of a person and what is modernism as a person view it. It was not about dresses or it was not about gadgets, it was not about technology, it was not about political ideology. I was totally speaking about the mindset and from the psychological or the perception point of view.
0: So, what was the outcome of that group discussion? Rather, than that entire interview? Are you selected?
1: Uh, yeah, I was the only person who was selected because there was only one vacancy. Much to the resistance of the marketing controller, because he felt that um, a fresher, then a post-graduation student, and uh, definitely from my resume, it was uh, evident that I led a very protected existence. So, it's a tough corporate world, and we had, uh, you know, prizes for the. Definitely because I was selected as an executive trainee in the marketing department. So much to his vehement protest, Borunshan Gupta went straight ahead and took me, inducted me. And I still remember what he said because I was there in the final interview that uh, she can make it. I'm confident she can make it. And the other 18 guys cannot. You know, so I basically entered the organization with lot of lot of a reservation from the management side or you know a lot of uh, to be very precise to use the exact language a lot of raised eyebrows that whether at all I can do justice whether at all I can perform or whether at all I can deliver like the job I was given
0: to. so you have delivered a lot to the corporate world so this was the journey where it started actually we want to know more about the journey
1: uh, yeah so basically I was you know like I did not want to leave the job So it was difficult for me because I was pursuing my full time uh, MA in English and doing the job as well. And uh, it was a very tough job. You know, uh, out of eight to nine hours, so out of eight, nine hours, maybe five to six hours, we used to roam about in the scorching sunrise. And for a girl, for a small town girl, who had laid a very sheltered and protected life, and you know, always relatives and friends and teachers pampering her, it was really a hell of a journey. But then somehow, at the end of the day, I coped up. My studies, my post-graduation, and the job with Elan. And then after that, after Bhattam and I joined another National League for India today, there I had a stint of one and a half years. But then somehow I started having some kind of discontentment. There also I had a successful stint. So it can be, I don't know, like the literature students will be able to relate. It was a kind of a divine dissatisfaction. I was actually not satisfied with, with whatever I was doing. I had a good paycheck compared to my age. I had a lot of perks and facilities. But somehow something kept on telling me that I am getting stagnant. There was was a lot of stagnancy inside me and a lot of
0: discontentment which was basically building up. So, where did this discontent lead you? Because I believe we are uh, having success all through. Uh, yeah because you know
1: like once this discontentment started and this dissatisfaction uh, started and I started slowly feeling that this is not where I belong you know, my, I was not actually getting my college so that was 1999 end so I decided to shift to something more dynamic where there will be challenge day in and day out where the stagnancy level will be less and definitely there will be a lot of growth and uh Uh, I would say growth as far as perks or money was concerned because I was being paid more than enough. I wanted some kind of, you know, personal growth, like some kind of evolution to take place. So, it just creaked that I got into an IT company, which is a public limited company registered on uh, Chennai and Mumbai Stock Exchange. And... Surprisingly enough, without any IT or technical background, because I belong to literature, I've studied literature, my higher studies has been in literature, so you know, like joining on board with a public limited IT core company, IT and ITS, was something very, very strange. Like it sounded strange to me, it sounded strange to the others as well,
0: who were close to me. So being a non-technical person, how do you cope up? Yeah, well, that's again a
1: phenomenal journey as well. I had some excellent mentors, out of which definitely I would like to highlight two of them Mr. C.V. Iyer and Mr. B.R.E. Mr. Iyer, more because he was the project head of the department where I was inducted. It was one of its kind, the first tendering online platform of India. And uh, same story followed, like as I uh, did in beginning of Bhartamar. It was all learning, unlearning roaming about in the scorching sunrise because it was actually that time in a project level. It was not a full-fledged profit center or a department. So, a lot of R&D, a lot of roaming about, a lot of connecting with the clients, a lot of connecting with the end users, a lot of transition, a lot of research, because that was the first tendering platform of India, online tendering platform of India. So, it involved a lot of legwork, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of things like, you know, which we had to do. So, yeah, technical, uh, uh, totally non-technical, means I had no idea what's coding all about what's a computer all about apart from a, you know like how to use a mobile in 2000 uh, beginning so you know like I had to learn everything hands-on everything so it resulted in a journey in which 15 years down the line I was heading the coding team in the sense I was not doing coding for them but I was definitely designing architectures for them and I was uh, Heading change management teams as well, like from the clients, whatever change management came, and you know, dealing very closely with the coding guys, where to, where to take the divorce. So my knowledge, it was all hands-on learning. You know, I, without getting into the nitty-gritties, I can say it's all hands-on. So that was the journey all about. So the, you know, the advantage of hands-on learning is such that when you actually learn hands-on that knowledge stays you know nobody can take away that knowledge and it so happened I am very honored or you can say I'm really grateful to say that when I joined that company I was a trainee and from trainee I became an assistant manager spread to manager and then to vice president operations heading a huge profit center within a period of two and a half years to three years so that was the knowledge absorption that was the hands-on learning that was a mentorship that I received, that was a support I received, that I could you know, reach that stage within a, uh, within a period of 3 years.
0: Though it is a very successful story, but as we all know that every success has got a struggle inside. So what is your struggle? Rather what hurdles do you face and how you have overcome them?
1: I don't say job wise I faced any hurdles because um, work wise I could deliver whatever I was given uh, to deliver including going to North Bihar working directly with mafias and all that but then definitely I faced a lot of patriarchy everyone was not as supportive as my mentors the core issue you can say definitely patriarchy because when a woman shoots to power you know the entire world as I said, raised dive right, rose in the beginning of the story. Uh, like, somehow, the story she slipped her way to success. And uh, being in this kind of a uh, domain, which was actually hardcore procurement, we used to automate procurement processes. You know, like, uh, that was a men's world. So, there was hardly any lady or girl around amongst the clients or projects or in the company itself. So I uh, faced a lot of patriarchal issues where I was always, you know, attempted to be, sub- uh, I, I would say submerged, but definitely I would uh, I would have, you know, my efforts were attempted to be drowned. My achievements were not shown in the proper light to the higher management. And there was always, you know, this kind of gossips and this kind of perceptions that this lady, With a non-technical background, that was, yes, that was the biggest challenge I faced, that being from a non-technical background in a core IT and ITS public limited listed company, how can she become a vice president, profit center operations, that too within 36 months. And how come the technical IITs and um, you know, MTechs and BTechs are reporting to her and they being experienced in coding and hardcore techies and hardcore technology guys? So that was the beginning of the struggle. I won't say struggle, I won't say struggle because, but I would say the conflict, I would say the conflict or the beginning of my journey, what I am today, definitely patriarchy because every time I was leveled, every time I was judged. Every time I was judged, when there was a big contract, let's say 50 lakhs or 70 lakhs, uh, I'm talking about 15 years back, that was huge in amount. And it was definitely, you know, with a lot of sarcasm and a pinch of salt that she must have swept her way to get that account. So, you know, that's it. Uh, there starts my journey for culmination or for the logical progression of what I am today.
0: Being a lady, as we all know, in corporates, there will be a lot of resistance. Would you like to highlight any specific resistance?
1: Uh, Well, I would uh, like to highlight uh, a particular incident, of course. Because uh, as uh, already conveyed, I was working in a niche domain in procurement where we all know and I was a subject matter expert in public procurement. As we all know, it involves crores of rupees and lots of underworld activities. Ironically, though, public procurement is supposed to be a very transparent process, so I had to go through a lot of layers, bureaucratic rectives, mafias, and all that. But there's one particular incident which was life-changing for me, which I would like to highlight today. I uh, joined... uh, after my 13-14 uh, years of stint as a vice president of operations with the first IT company that I was working with, I joined a group which was a 50-50 JV of sale and trustee, and they specialize in auctions. They specialize in uh, procurement. So and in between for the you know like since then for the last five years I had been giving I have been getting or you know receiving excellent offers as well in procurement but then somehow you know I was very loyal to the company where I inducted myself and where I got the entire opportunity to work with the uh, Pan India I would say uh, but then uh, as it happens you know once you reach your middle age you things start thinking about securities and a change I was becoming stagnant also position. Because since one being one of the two vice presidents of the company, the so Next position was CMD and definitely that, would hap- that wouldn't That happen. So the company was public limited but it was very closely held and Mr. Bihari was an excellent person as well. So I wanted to again, being a very ambitious person myself, I wanted to again, you know, break the stagnancy, break the status quo and come out and do something more challenging. So where I thought this company, this 5050 JV of Tata okay. Steel and Sale, would be an ideal first platform for me to expose more, to get exposed more. Uh, not to geographical boundaries or to not to demographic, demographical boundaries, but to more challenging assignments, to bigger projects, and. Uh, definitely to newer technologies so i joined after a lot of hurdles because uh, you know there were three rounds of interviews and all that and in this field like in procurement or online tendering or public procurement there's a lot of entry barriers for women as usual like by default because it needs a lot of travel, it needs a lot of mobility. I have been traveling across the uh, country for 17, 18 uh, days a month, and I have been staying in places. I remember I had to, you know, due to lack of proper accommodation or guest house facilities, I had even had to spend night in stations. You know, I remember so many opportunities where I had to seek help of the station master to spend few hours over there. So, you know, it involved that kind of journey and mobility. So, once I joined this company, there was a little culture shock because the company I belonged to was a very, very ethical company with a lot of horizontal structure, no stringent hierarchy. It was a typical IT knowledge company, as it calls it. But then, when I joined this Tata group, Tata and Sale JV, there's a lot of stringent hierarchies, means I started feeling stiffer. And my reporting authority, uh, 12 years down the line, I don't mind naming him. He was Koshi Craig, a highly qualified professional, if I remember correctly with presidency background and statistical institute background and all that. Extremely good looking, extremely dashing, extremely apparently dynamic. He started downright heckling me not only regarding the jobs definitely the issue was you are coming from a non-tata group and there's been a parallel entry where in our organization all the entries happen from the pressure level so there was a lot of resistance in that because i had a parallel entry as a senior manager if i remember correctly the designation so he started downright heckling me to the extent when i used to have lunch sitting with my team uh, uh, if i remember correctly there was two girls and six five or six guys he would come down every single day after his lunch in the open cafe and he will crack all kind of obscene, nasty jokes and i was not used to that culture as i said i belonged to a company which had a very horizontal reporting structure which had which had active overseas presences in London, in US, in Pujaira, in Australia. So it was a very very open culture, very warm, where even the janitor or the sweeper had a voice. If a project is going on and if we were, you know, if we were needed to stay overnight for 15 days to meet the deadline, you know, even the third, uh, you know, the third uh, great Sapushtra used to put in ideas. Aise karne se kya hoga, na dee dee. So I belong to that culture in IT and even before IT, you know, my media stint with Outlook with India Today and Bataman was pretty, you know, pretty democratic. So, firstly, I was not used to this kind of a stringent hierarchical structure where if I want to stay after 6pm and contribute something to the organizational kitty, um, I was allowed to. Six o'clock means you have like to leave, leave at six o'clock. And if I wanted to do something out of my profile to add some value into to the rich experience I was already having by then... I was not allowed to. You know, was, those are very watertight compartments. Okay, that that's okay. That's the work culture. But then I started getting killed by this guy. And soon, you know, offers of sexual favors started coming. You know? And I was not used to this because we had a very ethical organization. We ran crores of rupees business where the clients were top level decision makers of the government because they were making policy decisions as far as the electronic Procurement is concerned from a transition point of offline tendering which ran for two centuries. So uh, my clientele belonged to very, very uh, senior policy level people of government and they were extremely nice folks. They were extremely protective, courteous, extremely, I would say, knowledgeable in the literal sense of the term. So I was not used to being heckled, asking directly for sexual favors from a senior or a peer or a colleague or even a vendor or even a client. So that was something way too much for me. Definitely, I had a lot of, uh, you know, issues as far as resistance is concerned in my way up the corporate ladder, but that was it. Here, the entire uh, perspective was different. I was directly asked to sleep with Koshik Ray. So as it happened uh, to crop the whole story short there was some report which was supposed to be submitted we were working for ordnance factory board project in consortium with NIIT. he was clinically indisposed and I was compelled to go with the report to his house where he tried to molest me or assault I mean sexual assault I won't say he tried to attem- attempt to molest me somehow I saw saved myself, he couldn't do much further. Um, I came down, my vehicle was worth waiting. To the extent I had to leave my laptop, my bag, including my Dupatta in his house because I had to run, you know. I had to run from his apartment. He was... He just started molesting me or, you know, like, a, it was just the beginning. Basically, if I just stayed there for two, three minutes, I would have been ripped.
0: So, I came straight back and with the assistance
1: of one of the vice presidents over there, who was an extremely nice fellow. He had a background of XLRI and BHU. I still admire him personally. and I'm still in touch with him, with his courage, and uh, ethics said courage, Sanchita Banerjee, I filed an ethics complaint, and uh, you know, again, to make the whole story short is... Uh, His uh, advances were proved by a series of Whatsapp messages, uh, customized and itemized telephone views and all that, and he was sacked. But, uh, the irony lies there, the twist of the tale lies there. When he was sacked, he was supposedly or apparently extremely close to the top management. And uh, the top management was forced to sack him because there were a lot of me too activities which got generated from another 7 to 10 women
0: who were silent,
1: could not open up the harassment they also faced at Koshikri's hands, time and again here and there, pockets, assignments, projects. So those people also, came, those women rather, came forward and they said yes. She's right because we face the same thing, and uh, due to his arrogant nature, he was not much liked also by his peers. So, you know, the top managements were compelled to sack him owing to the Tata ethics and you know the core values of Tata, but that did not really go well. Down on me, subsequent to that sacking. Uh, but as I said, the twist in the tale of the irony of the entire situation was very ironical enough because it followed all the core ethics and values of Tata group, which we all, you know, like, at the end of the day, we can say one name, uncorrupted, unadulterated, ideological, philanthropic. In India, as an Indian citizen, we can privatize sector, we can say Tatars. Tatar. So very ironically, the twist of the tale happened that my efficiency started being questioned after Koshik was terminated or he was sacked. My deliverables started being questioned to the point where I have served as a vice president operations for 14, 15 odd years with an impeccable professional background with an outstanding performance records everywhere I walk. The way I wrote a formal letter was being questioned and I was being, you know, pushed to write the letter at least seventeen to twenty times. Irrespective of the fact that the segment I was servicing, Ordnance Factory Board, Power Grid Corporation and BHEL, irrespective of excellent feedback from the client side that this lady really gives service. She's a brilliant resource she's extremely good at her execution irrespective of that nothing stood in my appraisals, you know and I was sort of demoted and I was compelled to leave a few months or I guess one year down the line and there of course there was a huge paradigm shift to my entire life to my um, philosophy and perception of seeing things looking at things my mindset my psychology my entire you know my entire way in which i viewed the world
0: the pandemic changed the entire dynamics of each and every people we have seen a lot of things from different peoples also so what are the changes this pandemic had brought to you Hmm.
1: It had brought a phenomenal change. I would say in me, as it has happened with uh, millions and billions of people in the world. Uh, but my change was phenomenal uh, in the sense I completely changed as a person. You know the like uh, the worldly ambitions, or the aspirations, or the hankering of uh, power or money or consumerism, totally vanished, and I emerged. The journey so happened that I emerged as a totally I can say selfless person, human being to whom uh, the rest of the world came first and me last like uh, I became a covid warrior to the extent I became an active COVID warrior, sleeping only 2 hours a day for 4 months, you know, coordinating community kitchens, coordinating blood banks, coordinating hospital vacancies, coordinating patients, coordinating death cases oxygen cylinders and it was so active and hectic a tenure that uh, it took a toll on my health means i went all in i dived all in and then i realized one fine morning well the discontentment, the dissatisfaction, the restlessness—I would say—which had been facing since the last 25 or 30
0: years—here
1: oh, lies my calling. Like that was a, you know, that, that was an epiphanic moment. One day, suddenly in the middle of the night, I I was speaking to the patients and I think it won't be middle of the night, it would be nearly dawn at around 3.30, 4 o'clock. I uh, went to my kitchen while the rest of my family was sleeping to make myself a hot cup of coffee to rejuvenate myself definitely because I remember that day, 17 hours, continuously, I was on the phone attending patients and their parties. So the epiphanic moment came in the kitchen staring at the very early morning sky that well, this is where I belong to. And this is what I had been aspiring to do since my childhood, giving myself to others and that too unconditionally without any price attached. So that was the epiphany, and then that was the epiphanic moment. That was the realization where my today's, where wherever I am today with, uh, you know, with uh, the community uh, service or the development sector, that moment was the beginning of the commencement of the journey.
0: Every one of us wants to make this world a better place to live. But the steps which you have taken are phenomenal. If you can highlight, our audience wants to know more.
1: Yeah, so while being with Shangbe, that was a community resource pool, all of us were working together from various segments of society for the COVID patients and the COVID um, affected families. Uh, right after that, uh, Sundarban was ravaged by us. So, we remember extending our service to Sundarban as well and um, then slowly, slowly, yes, the world, Kolkata, India started. Uh, becoming normal but then my uh, quest has already begun my journey has already begun so I wanted to do more for the society I wanted to extend myself more in terms of my talent, merit, qualifications, hard work, time, bandwidth, emotions to contribute unconditionally to the society and then I formed Procheshtha Proceshtra is a philanthropic initiative definitely founded by me, but been supported by a very, very close group of friends who share the same ideology, who share the same philosophy, who share the same kind of value system that I had because all of us have reached nearly our middle age, in our middle age rather. So with a close group of supporters and friends, I formed Proceshtra. And uh, the core value was definitely giving ourselves to the society equitable distribution not equal distribution I highlight equitable distribution of resources in terms of not only money definitely money is the prerequisite but in terms of uh, bandwidth in terms of emotion in terms of time in terms of talents in terms of merit in terms of our connects in terms of our contacts to do something for the society in which there will be a visible change and uh, the menaces we were fighting against is definitely patriarchy is definitely misogyny, is definitely the divides, it's definitely the rotten mindset for the last 200 years that India has faced definitely the stigmas, tabus and uh, the prejudices against LGBTI against trying to, you know, like against people who want to have multiple sexual partners against people who are having a lesbian marriage against people who are divorced and still, you know, roaming about enjoying their lives against people that who's a widow at 60 and why she remarrying again and against a lot of this kind of mindset issues that we have been subjected to. But uh, well, but the focus definitely was on geriatric care and still on geriatric care because I saw the elderly people being extremely helpless during COVID where their children stay abroad or in some other metropolitans. I could see having a crore of, you know, rupees of bank balance they're as helpless as a stray dog or a cat. So that moved me a lot, their misery, their helplessness, their alienation, their isolation from the society once they become old, immobile, and fragile. That touched my heart, that touched the core of my heart, and that really moved me a lot. So protesters is definitely the focus is geriatric care, senior care. But definitely these are uh, you know things we fight against.
0: So, uh, Prochesta, what is the mission and the vision of Prochesta and what do you want to see Prochesta, say, down the line, say, after five years?
1: Well, definitely, as I highlighted, I won't repeat again because our fights are regarding, you know, against few things which I've already mentioned. And my focus being geriatric care or senior citizen's care also the marginalised poor citizens senior citizens we also deal with women issues yes marginalised women issues, the sustainable upliftment, creating income opportunities street children, orphan children but then yes 70% of our focus is on senior care and the activities we have conducted has been path breaking in the sense Procheshta held the first of its kind free geriatric camp in the country where Lots of elderly citizens walked in, and there was a comfortable environment. And as far as you know, the air condition of the auditorium was concerned, refreshments, beverages, uh, musicians, poets, eminent psychiatrists, psychologists, all coming in to entertain them for four to five hours. And that was the first camp of its kind in India. You know, and they felt extremely valued that without a ticket to enter the auditorium we all have coming around 100 people or more we are entertained so many eminent people from all across the gamut of the society have come including singers you know celebrity singers lawyers uh, musicians poets you know recitation happened and all that just to entertain us just to address us you know there was a lot of songs there was dancing and all that there was a lot of chorus and while leaving those people, odd hundred elderly people, they were literally in tears. You know, like they felt heard, they felt listened to, they felt cared for. Because in spite of all our good intentions, it seems but how much time can we actually devote to our parents or in-laws or aunts, uncles, and all that? So it was a beautiful experience, spiritually extremely an enriching one. So, after the super-duper success of the first camp, we are holding more camps. I think in December, we are going to hold another camp as well. And we have been doing clothes drive, food drive for the street children, for the elderly people, distributing blankets, foods, singing with them, the national anthem, dancing with them, participating in games. So, this clothes drive, food drives has been going on, have been going on definitely. But the focus has been on the free camps. And I uh, also basically would like to highlight some other journeys, uh, like...
0: Uh, Shupana, we will come to that, but prior to that I would like to understand... Where are you want to see if, if If I am, rather you are on my shoes, what is that you have asked yourself, which I haven't?
1: See, uh, to uh, showman to answer your last question, which uh, you know went unattended, sorry, uh, where do I see Procheshta five years down the line? Definitely, I see Prochester as a very visible brand. I would say brand uh, not from the monetization aspect, but a brand which motivates, a name which inspires, a name which makes a difference to the community a name which calls so many other talented people to come and join on board so that's why I'm calling it a brand and I would like to see it as a brand focusing on senior care that the people above 65 70 75 80 they just wait for their death you know they don't leave they actually every day they are dying before dying so, I want to make them feel much, much less isolated, much, much less ostracized. It should be an all-inclusive society focusing on the inclusiveness that, yes, elderly, because all of us will become old, right? That's something which we cannot deny. So, that's a natural progression of all our lives. So, you know, they are part and personal intrinsic part of the society where they can contribute, they can be active members and uh, they can make a difference too. They can share their talent, they can mobilize their efforts and they should not die every day before their death for 10-15 years. You know and yes it's cool like if a 75 years old gentleman wearing a red t-shirt you know crimson red t-shirt walks into a pub with his girlfriend of 70 years you know. There shouldn't be any raised eyebrows because life build up last moment it's beautiful and it's worth living we only live once so this is where Proceshta stands five years down the line and of course definitely against inhuman geriatric abuse that millions of old people in our country go through so I want to see protesta there five years down the line and other things there is one journey or one achievement rather or journey I would rather say which made a lot of difference to my life. Phenomenal difference. Uh, Yes, I called my calling. I called my final calling with COVID, but then with that fellowship program, I would say I became a totally different person. There was a 360 degree shift in me. There was massive change in me in which I think, in which I see the world, in my perception of the world. And that is, I got selected as one of the 30 change makers of a phenomenally powerful program called She Creates Change, owned, conducted, and sponsored by Change.org. Change.org as is the largest petition making platform in the world and uh, i was only one of the 30 change makers were selected in thought leadership and you know social reformers in the seventh cohort we had a lab residential in the month of august in uh, delhi and it was life-changing i mean the mentors we had the things we were taught or rather i would say taught i would say the things or the ideas we were exposed to has been totally non-judgmental, have been totally, totally, uh, I would say, without any judgment, without any preconceived notions, without any preconceived notions, without any set mindset, without any prejudices where, the most astonishing thing I would like to highlight I would like to highlight. Since I was a child, I was always asked, "Who's your father? Who's your mother? What's your title? What does your husband do? How many children do you have? And why did you have a late child? You know, how much do you earn? And what is the designation?" It's a strange thing that I got selected for this program. It's totally sponsored by Change.org. Definitely, they invest huge amount of money in doing this, conducting these programs, where only I guess first day online form i was uh, asked whether i was uh, you know undergraduate or class 10 or postgraduate that was a tick mark i just gave postgraduate till then since now 29 of my fellow change makers 10 of the alumni coordinators the mentors and the big group of the other change makers that we belong to around 200 300 people globally have never asked me whether i'm married What does my husband do? Whether I have children, who was my father, who am I? I am me. And that suffices. It's a beautiful non-judgmental space to belong to where your entire mind incubates in a way where you become a totally, completely different person equipped to serve the world completely unconditionally.
0: So is this the only fellowship uh, that you are running right now or there are other things also which you like to highlight?
1: Oh yeah, definitely I would like to highlight about my own brand that is Value Procure where I act as a procurement functional consultant and I work for uh, Middle East companies and uh, Indian companies, startups, you know, in the sense that I make papers for them how they can uh, do a successful transition management from offline procurement to online procurement. And I do a little bit of startup consultancy as well because I have run my own company for seven years, uh, uh, Value Procure. Definitely, I don't run the full-time operations, uh, keeping in mind my uh, community development activities and, of course, my two children who are in senior classes. But then I really still keep on doing my uh, consultancy job Apart from that, what I would like to highlight, it just happened last week, it's a recent development which I'm very proud and privileged to be part of because that part was not really addressed by me personally till now. I got selected for a one year sponsored fellowship, uh, naming Kalinga Fellowship by Bridge Institute that again is a 25 years company headquartered in US and they invest a lot of societal, developing societal leadership, thought leadership. And this time, the topics are totally different. Definitely gender inequality is one of the topics because I believe, with all due regards to my male mentors, with all due regards to my male relatives whom I love so much, with due regard to my son, Who's my part of my heart? Who's part of my heart? And with due regards to showman here in front, he's been an extremely supportive anchor till now or host till now. Most of the menaces, 90% of the social menaces, roots or the roots are, uh, you know, stem from patriarchy and misogyny. If you see the broader implications, maybe not directly, but the indirect implications, you know. So this time the topic of Kalinga Fellowship is I'm still running the fellowship with cha- change.org. It's a lifetime commitment. And we are life members of change.org. I mean, I'm a change maker, I'm an official change maker of change.org. That is where. There I'm running a petition as well, powered by change.org. That petition speaks about the meager amount of pension that our senior citizens have in India, which is very ridiculous, like it's very hilarious. They have 400 rupees 2000 rupees or 2000 rupees per month and who do not have any secondary source of income. Just imagine we spend 400 to 500 bucks in India on a standard middle class family to have our food and other necessities, you know, like I, I would say directly food four meals you know two square meals and you know snacks and breakfast and all together there an elderly lady above the age of 60 or 65 is expected to run with a 400 rupees pension per month from indira gandhi national scheme that's hilarious (laughs) that's funny that's uh, (coughs) excuse me that's absurd so i'm running a petition myself that to raise the lifelong pension to a certain level and my petition is straight or you know straight addressed to the prime minister of india tagging all the other departments like uh, social justice and empowerment child development and women empowerment rural so that's the petition i'm running today and i've got phenomenal response from this petition um, and change.org has been extremely supporting in or uh, you know like uh enhancing empowering the petition along with me they working shoulder to shoulder along with me. There are other change makers who have taken it up in the central level. I am taking it up in the state level. And also, uh, right now, I'm very proud to say that I'm a national level activist against geriatric abuse. Sitting in Kolkata, I'm dealing cases in Indo. I'm dealing cases in Nagpur, I'm dealing cases in Delhi, Chennai. And uh, so, okay, again, back to, I think I diverted a little, but then again, I back to Kalinga Fellowship. The core issue is definitely gender inequality. There are seven streams in which they make on-the-ground impact, followed by action. Out of the seven streams, I have been selected for the stream of reintegrating survivors. And gender inequality, the core issues are gender inequality and human trafficking. So it's very exciting because since, you know, I was a young woman or maybe, you know, 25, 26, I wanted to do something. Definitely that time that was not the focus and I didn't even find the calling. But I wanted to do something for the children of the sex workers. And I was very intrigued in how this trafficking takes place because... It's an excess, right? Where even the close people of the ma- girl or the woman may be involved. In a extremely poor or you know underdeveloped country like India, we hear mothers selling their girl children at 100 rupees or even 50 rupees. So, you know, human trafficking has been a subject which has been very close to my heart. So, I had been selected. So, the, this fellowship is all about human trafficking and gender equality, inequality. And I've been selected in the stream of reintegrating survivors that That has really made me proud. That has really made me empowered. Because I consider myself a survivor. From a lot of perspectives. So me being a successful survivor you know. I know how to lift up people, how to promote them, how to rehabilitate and what exactly to do and how much of hand-holding you need to do to pull up a traumatic, you know, a person suffering from deep trauma, a rape victim or a victim of marital abuse or a victim of toxic parenting, you know, like the kind of trauma they suffer or even we hear about girls getting raped by their fathers. And the father being highly accomplished bureaucrat. So, you know, you know they're all survivors. They're all great people who have come up and raised their voices. So, the topic I got selected for is extremely, extremely, extremely close to my heart. And I'm really keenly looking forward to this fellowship as well. So,
0: uh, today we are kissing. Uh, Shubhana, we have almost come to the end of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. So, any message for my audience?
1: Well, um, there's no sacrosanct message as well, but then I would like to highlight a few points. Definitely life is big. The world is a huge place. So each on his own, uh, the philosophies live and let live. So I cannot impose anything, you know, like kind of giving a moral messaging or being a moral police or living a... But all I would like to say is, since the life is, as it is big, it's very short too. So it's very transient so we only live once we only love once so let this life be worth something in which you basically come out of your comfort level you break your contentment zones because until and unless you come out of your comfort level and contentment zones you really cannot contribute in a macro level to the society and uh, we live we live just for what's the average lifespan: 70 years, 60 years live a life which is worth living and the bottom line is leave a legacy behind you know you should always leave some kind of a legacy behind that when you die at least your next generation or at least the people you knew can say whether okay well she or he lived a life which was beyond himself or herself and uh, empathize be compassionate and empathy comes from a place of very very high um, level of maturity people sympathize, we all sympathize, we sympathize with a beggar, we sympathize with a stray cat we sympathize with a wounded animal on the streets, we sympathize with a you know old person who is not eating anything but to empathize, to be on that shoes, it needs a very high level of maturity and spiritual involvement, I would say let us practice that all together collectively, let us be more empathetic empathetic let us be compassionate let us reach out and let us break our comfort zones contentment zones if we really want to leave a legacy behind
0: that's all thank you shabana it was absolute an honor to have you as a guest in my show thank,
1: thank. you shaman you are an excellent host uh, you know like you are really really supportive patient empathetic again to highlight on thank you so much